Mets in the studio, Bob Metz and Jeff Schlemmer on this edition of Left, Right and Center. And Mr. Metz, I have to tell you, I'm, I'm shocked and dismayed, dazed and confused. Bob comes in and um, <laughs> says, well, I'm, this EI stuff you're talking about, he said, I'm not convinced you're right. I said, what do you mean I'm not right? These are thieves and poltroons. He said, I'm not entirely convinced. So I didn't say any more. We just said, okay, let's save it for the show. Now the show's on. What the heck are you talking about? Well, I, I think I'm, I'm kind of wondering what you're getting so excited about, Jim. You're, you're talking about uh, a, a system. You're, you're calling the government thieves if they take this money and use it for something other than UI, UI benefits. Mm, yeah, okay, yes. Well, I look at it a little differently. I'm, I'm saying they were thieves before they had this money. This money has already been stolen, and it belongs to them, whether you like it or not. And it doesn't matter what the law says, because they're in a position to change the law. Nobody's got a contract with the government in terms of what it ha commits to them in terms of uh, UI benefits or anything mm -hmm. like that. It's merely another government tax grab, and we shouldn't be calling them premiums. But that's it. it. They've never called it a tax before. They've always said it's a premium for insurance, and they've, they've from the start, characterized this thing as been. being insurance. It's, you know, it could be run by State Farm, for, for, uh, according to them. It should be run by and, State Farm. And, uh, you know, in that case, the money they take in as premiums isn't their money to do with as they please. And if State Farm were to say, you know, we're going to cut way back on the benefits we're going to pay out to you, we're going to force you to be paying premiums each month, and everything that, that's left over is gravy, we get to do what we want with, you know, people would be outraged. Well, the first thing about a premium that I would say is that it has to be voluntary. It can't be forced. As soon as something's forced, we call it a tax. Therefore, to say that anything, whether you call it a UI premium or a Canada Pension Plan premium or an OHIP premium that this province once used to have, mm -hmm. which they no longer delude us about now, it's mm -hmm. just taxes now, yeah. uh, they're all taxes and there's no guarantee at the other end of it. All you have in return for that tax is a, is a vague promise that maybe sometime down the road when it's your turn to collect, there might be something there for you. <laughs> and that's all it is. You know, what, what's frustrating for me about it, though, is that if they do purport to roll this into general revenue, that what it means is that, and, and they talk about using it to fund a tax cut, effectively, the part of the problem with EI premiums all along has been that they're a disincentive on hiring people. For every additional person you hire as a business person, oh, you're paying you more tax. Mm -hmm, absolutely. So effectively, what happens is that if you're somebody who has a high income and you employ very few people, your income tax goes down, but you're not affected by uh, any change to, uh, to EI premiums. So effectively, this that, way of taxing discourages employment, which is frustrating. Not only that, the employer has to pay 140% of the, of the premium of the cost of it, and he's not allowed to collect. Employers in this country cannot collect UI. Isn't it interesting, though, and isn't it typical, and not just of the Liberal government, of any government, the baffle gab they're using uh, relative to the tax um, reduction. They want to use this money to reduce taxes. So in order to do that, of course, they're going to have to, A, seize the money illegally or pass the legislation so it's legal. So then they've got the money. Then they've got to go through the whole bureaucracy to, to, to give this money back to Canadians somehow through some kind of tax relief. All they really have to do is turn it over to the actuaries and say, how much do you have to bring in every week, month, year to make this thing work? And that's how much you charge people, and we don't charge them any more than that. It's an effective tax cut, $350 for a Canadian who's earning $39,000 more. But if they did that, they'd be back to a private system. That's what you're advocating by saying that. As soon as, you're, as soon as you discipline yourself to the market, you no longer are allowed to operate on political whim, which is like, like all these plans are simply based on transferring taxes from one group to another. The idea of Canada Pension, for example, was that the younger taxpayers would pay for the older ones and collect straight out of their taxes, mm -hmm. not out of a pool or an investment fund mm -hmm. or money that's been set aside. 
So what, what Canada has is what is called a tremendous unfunded liability in many departments. Canada yeah. Pension, uh, a pile of them. And this amounts to over a trillion dollars. That's mm -hmm. our, our real debt is much higher than what we're seeing yep. on, on the books because much of it is unspoken. But then again, between now and then, the, lo the law can be changed a hundred times so that that reality may never eventually visit us. It's just that a lot of people will be ripped off for the benefits that they thought they were going to get at the end of the game. One of the things that uh, I don't know if people fully appreciate when you talk about EI and what's happened there is that, uh, of course, employer premiums and employee premiums have not gone up under this government. They've gone down slightly. The Where that $20 billion has come from is in reducing the amount of benefits you get if you become unemployed. And the analogy for me is that, uh, again, if, uh, if I'm paying cooperators uh, premiums each month so that if something goes wrong, I've got insurance, uh, and at the end of the day they say, well, I'm sorry, we're only going to pay you 50% of what we said we'd pay you before. That's what's effectively happened here. And that does, that's not a, a, an invisible cost, because what happens is that, uh, for instance, if you apply for EI, you get a lot less than you used to. You get it for a much shorter time than you used to. It's a lot easier to get cut off than you used to. Those people don't just vanish off the system when uh, they get cut off. They go to provincial uh, welfare assistance, which has an additional cost right there. So it's not even as if the money can say, this is just found money, or the government can say, this is found money. This is money that's effectively being downloaded uh, to the provinces. Well, they end up paying, paying for it. I, I agree with you to the sense that all the money is all... All, all government money is in one big pot, regardless of what uh, use they promise that they're going to put it towards. But unfortunately, when you have governments that keep running to consensus for every little detail, like I don't think the public has any business, you know, knowing anything about anybody's private pension plan or, mm -hmm. or, or voting about what to do with the money in it. Mm -hmm. If this were a similar plan, either UI or pension, the question would never even be allowed to, to come up. And when when a government like the Liberal government is even allowing it to be questioned, they're, they're making a glaring admission that this is not an insurance plan. This is Left, Right and Center, and interesting today that uh, the perspectives on left, right and center all seem to agree that this is not the appropriate thing for this government to, to, to be doing. Lines are open, 643-1290, star-1290 on the Cantel, and Don joins us. Hi, Don. Hi. Yes, sir. Just a little comment uh, regarding the employment insurance. Yes. Uh, my problem with this is that it's another way for the government to borrow money, and uh, the deficits are high enough as it is. So if they use this employment insurance money, they are, in effect, borrowing it. Well, no, it's they're kind not. Of a hidden, it's, it's like a hidden debt. Well, no, they're not, they're not borrowing it because there's no pretense that they're ever going to pay it back. They're well, stealing it. They have to pay it back in the form of employment insurance. I mean, someday, what's, what's the fun for there? No, no, well, there, there, is, there is no fun done. Not, not in the real, real sense that we would think of as a fund. There's just a promise in the future. Because, you know, are, are you an employee? Uh, no, I'm retired a business owner. See, because uh, even, so you're one of the, the majority of people in this country, believe it or not, who cannot ever collect UI. That's correct. Because, you know, farmers, self-employed people, retired people, people who are, this is, this is supposedly money taken by one group of people and that's supposed to be there for that one group of people. And it's, it's just not going to happen as long as the government does not treat it as, as trust funds. Right. Uh, no employee was ever asked to sign any contract with their government regarding their unemployment insurance premiums, uh, the benefits, or their Canada pension premiums and the benefits. There is no two-way uh, thing that you would normally find in a contract, so that even if a company wants to renegotiate its, its promise to you, it has to do that at the end of a contract, and you still have the right to leave that company if you don't like the new deal. Right. That doesn't exist with this whole I, situation. I see, I see your point entirely, and I, I even agree with part of it. The only problem that I don't like 
is uh, the government getting this money and disguising it. Uh, you know, if what are they going to spend that money on? Is it going? Uh, would they be, would they be better not better off if they didn't have that money in cutting the deficit, cutting some other wasteful government program? Well, That's they what did, I'm getting they at. If, the they, if, they, if they have that money, they're going to spend it. You know, you know yeah. as well as I do. Oh yeah, so. sure they are. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Don. Appreciate your call, sir. Okay, thanks very much. Right on. It's interesting. There's an article in the paper today talking about that and how the um, I think it's about four billion dollars annually that they were they have as a surplus that's been coming in each year, which is how they got into this twenty billion dollar accumulated surplus, and that effectively represents the difference between a deficit and a surplus for this government. If they didn't have that money, they would be running a deficit. Uh, although, having said that, I, I note today that Mike Harris is saying he doesn't think he's going to retire the deficit by the time of the next provincial election, uh, which really surprised me. Uh, well, like Harris or not like him, you've got to be impressed with that. I was impressed with that. that well, he it's a, it's say, a tough thing to say. So, you know, I don't think we can do this. This was one of the fundamental uh, tenets of our campaign and everything else. And the reality is, you know, folks, we're trying, but we don't think we can make it. When was the last time a politician stood up in this country and said, I don't think I can deliver? Well, and Paul Martin certainly didn't do that. He grabbed this money, so he wouldn't have to say yeah. that. Yeah. 643-1290 is the telephone number, star 1290 on the Cantel. Left, right, and center with Jeff Schlemmer and Bob Metz. I'm Jim Chapman, and we'll be right back. Bob Metz and Jeff Schlemmer with me on left, right, and center. Jeff, you were saying something during the break there that was kind of interesting. You, 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 you alluded to the fact that there are some people who think that perhaps the way of the future is to take all of these programs, these wage supplement or these living supplement programs, and put them all into one big program. So whether it's EI or welfare, whatever the heck it is, if you find yourself without funds that you access this one big plan, do you think it would work? I don't know, but I know that uh, part of the frustration of people is that there's a ton of different programs out there dealing with unemployment and the consequences of unemployment. So you've got uh, federal EI system, you've got uh, federal down, uh, transfer payments that are made to provinces for welfare benefits and all other kinds of social benefits. You've got a lot of programs delivered municipally. So you've got all three levels of government dealing with, with unemployment in a variety of different ways. And often they don't mesh up very well. Um, for instance, uh, we've seen a problem recently with the um, the federal government had recently introduced uh, the um, uh, child poverty tax credit thing where they mm -hmm. spent the $800 billion to uh, reduce uh, or to theoretically increase benefits for poor children. Well, the provincial benefits are sort of clawing those right back, but often uh, their records are different. So you've got somebody who theoretically is supposed to be getting the federal money and so having it tapped, taken off the provincial money, uh, but they're actually not getting the federal money and trying to merge these things is a real nightmare. So part of the question is, what, is whether it's time to talk about, you know, do we, should we really be ha call this thing insurance or as Bob says, is it just another form of tax for another program? I gather that the reason it was called insurance in the first place was as a way of sort of making it more politically palatable coming out of the Depression. And that was that instead of providing uh, a uh, government funded program, uh, Mackenzie King said, no, no, we'll set up a worker funded program that will provide protection for workers in the event that, uh, there's, a, that there's a uh, another depression. Uh, maybe that concept... Uh, and, then, and then proceeded to rob the worker. Well, <laughs> that, as I'm saying, maybe that's you know, an obsolete concept and there's a lot of duplication it, in things. Isn't it funny we're calling it now employment insurance mm -hmm. when really what you're being insured against is unemployment. That's mm -hmm. the only time you can collect. It's just like life insurance that is really death insurance. <laughs> but it's such and a positive sound. It's right. Look on the bright side of life. <laughs> but don't you think it's part of the whole uh, necessity, you know, of, of all this fraud about the whole thing, really? Yeah, about how I, it really runs? I you have to so. use different words to describe the product that you're offering the public so that they can each attach their own meaning and, and what they think they're going to get out of it. Uh, 
you know, the appeal of, of security to individuals is very powerful. It's so powerful that it often overrides uh, fundamental concerns for other things, like basically our, our individual freedoms that are always sacrificed every time we create a new program to, uh, to give us our more security. And inevitably what happens is that once we give away enough of our freedoms and we don't have any choice and the, the economy cannot function anymore because it's just so screwed up by regulations, controls, taxes, and everything else, the security is gone too. Mm -hmm. And that has been the experience and the history of country after country after country that has always experimented with socialism in some form. And let's face it, that's what all these things are. They're, they're just part of Karl Marx's big plan to, to keep everyone equal and give everyone benefits without having to assume any direct responsibility for them. And I, to me, there's a bigger issue here than all of this. And that's why when, when, I, when I hear you, Jim, getting really all excited about this one minutiae of the bigger picture, you know, when, like, I agree with you. Yeah, they're thieves if they do that, but they were thieves before they took the money. It's a little bit like arguing about what a guy does with your stereo after he stole it from you, you know? Like, oh, he plays it too loud. Darn it, you know? Like, <laughs> so that's what was getting analogy. me upset, like you know? Well, let me, let me, let me uh, refer back to something that we've discussed previously, and Bob, you've made this point before. In fact, you made it a little bit here today, that, uh, that these programs are they're just taxes that they're not really yeah. it's not insurance at all and there's no promise at the other end so let's suppose for the yeah. sake of argument that the, that there was an epiphany in Ottawa and they all decided this was the wrong way to do it we're going to set up a legitimate voluntary contributory plan to cover all the eventualities that Jeff said you know it, it doesn't we don't care how you lost your job or why we don't care how you don't have any money or why you don't have any money but we're not gonna let you starve um, providing that you pay into this program well, in spite of the fact that many people are interested in security, there's a significant number of people out there who can't see beyond the end of their noses or the end of the day. What, in your situation, what do we do with those people who are not smart enough to, to join the contributory plan and end up when they're 40, 50, 60, 70, retire, whatever the case may be, with nothing, got no money, no place to live, no place to go? What do we say to those folks? Gee, it's too bad you weren't more responsible? Hmm, I'm going to get in trouble for this. I don't think the issue is smart people versus stupid people. I think the issue is lazy people versus productive people. Whatever the issue is, the but, fact remains that at the end of the day, you've well, got... A, I, I have to make that distinction right, to but, answer your question. But you've because got the ants who've done all the work and you've got the grasshoppers who haven't. Because the issue that we must avoid is never to make it even easier to be lazy than it already might be. Mm -hmm. And that's unfortunately the, the direction we go because we, we not only guarantee a basic subsistence, we also guarantee a basic level of comfort, which is a, which is a far cry from subsistence. And, and, and that in turn takes away what I would regard as the necessary discomfort that might motivate someone to do something. Now, this does not, of course, speak to the broader issue of people that I would regard as very truly in need for, mm -hmm. for, for true reasons beyond their own, you know, control mm -hmm. and, and but, but I'm I've always been convinced that such people are such a small minority of, of, of the majority of society that to support them via charity charitable means in a in an environment where we aren't being taxed at 54 percent would be peanuts we wouldn't even notice it but you're and they'd be far better off than than anything they could aspire to under the system but I'm we have today. I'm confused about what you're saying on two levels there are still going to be people who are not going to do that and, and, and people who are not limited by their own problems you and Jeff right. and as long as they're not breaking the law I say leave them alone well they're starving to death on the streets what are you going to do with them 
They didn't. Where does this happen, Jim? Where does this happen? Except in countries where they have laws against working, laws against... I'm talking uh, about in in a situation, I'm not saying you're such... In a situation where we had a voluntary contributory plan to cover all these uh, contingencies that now are paid for through tax money and through direct payments like the EI. So we've got a system, and you've talked about this many times, where we take our own responsibility and we want to... You can say yes or no or how much coverage you want to buy and so on. At the end of the day, there will always be some people, not necessarily those people who are limited by their, and I'm going to use the word handicapped, whether it's politically correct or not. I'm not talking about people who are handicapped physically or mentally. I'm talking about that other chunk of people, and they're out there, we are just damn lazy. Yeah. What are we going to do with them when... The as day- long as they're not breaking the law, you don't have to do anything with them. Well, but here they are. At the end of the day, they got no money, no place to live, and nothing to eat. Well, that's their problem. So we're going to let them starve in the streets? That's your choice. That's, it's, not, it's not a question of what we should do. Uh, the question is, what do you want to do? What does Jeff want to do? What do I want to do? And should each of us be allowed to do what each of us decides is the appropriate response? So, and, and so as soon as you say the big, the big we, you're talking collectivism, and you're getting back into socialism and government and using force again and creating a system that's going to put more people like that into our okay, society. Okay, well, let's, instead of the we, I'm going to go to Jeff on this. I want to say you. Um, we're in that society that Bob's talking about. We have that voluntary contributory system, and the three of us obviously have paid into it because we would see the value of doing that. And uh, somebody comes banging on your door one afternoon and says, Jeff, uh, remember me? I went to school together. Um, gee, you know, I, I didn't make my payments, and, uh, and now I'm really on. I got no money. I got no place to live. My kids are starving in the car out here. I got no gas to go anywhere. Gee, Jeff, uh, what do I do now? Yeah, what do you do now? I guess uh, the problem is that everybody would have sort of a natural uh, affinity or a charity for people that they have a connection with, or it's family or whatever, although I think the problem is a lot bigger than Bob does, and, and I think one of our fundamental differences is how many people have control what, what over problem, their unemployment. Jeff? Unemployment. I, and I, you know, I think you and I differ. Well, Jim in was talking about people starving in the streets, and what would we, what would we do with that? Well, no, but what I'm person? saying is that uh, you, we've, we've taken out the people who are disabled, who can't work for reasons beyond the control. We're yeah. saying, are there people who come to us and they're destitute and they have nothing? What are we going to do for them? I say, I, I think there'd be a lot more of them than, than you would expect, and that we couldn't handle it on an individual basis. But the point is, though, on this, Jeff, is that they had every opportunity to avoid ending up in that situation, unlike today. In, in this situation we're positing, they've had every opportunity to buy in, to buy their premiums, to be part of this, and they, they just didn't do it. They didn't bother, and now, at the end of the day, they have nothing. So, do we have a responsibility to them? Well, again, if we're talking about people who had jobs and chose not to, to put something aside for and the that's, future... that's what we're talking okay. about. Yeah, in that case, um, then uh, I would be a lot less sympathetic. To me, though, that's a reason why it's not a bad idea to, for us collectively to force some discipline onto some of our neighbors and say, we don't want to run into that situation. We don't think you're looking after yourself properly and your kids and your family and so on. So we're going to force you to set based, aside based a video. on what kind of evidence? Just, bu- just on the simple evidence that the person does not want to participate in a plan like that? And Jim, you made the assumption that, of course, me, uh, the three of us would obviously contribute to such a plan. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I would. Mm-hmm. But, the, but what I'm saying is that I think we would all agree there are some people who would not contribute. You know, even though they should, they just won't. Some of them might be wealthy. Buy a big screen TV instead. Mm -hmm. No, but Jim's talking. Jim's not talking about the people who don't need it. You're talking about people who may well need it. I'm talking about people who definitely need it. And it's a smart idea for them to buy it, and they choose not to. And in my case, what I would say is, I don't want them to come to my door. I would rather force them now to have to set a bed aside each week. So if it comes to that, then they've got something to live on. The other thing, though, that it raised that you mentioned was this question of laziness and uh, how right now EI for most people is still somewhat higher than welfare benefits. And part of the rationale for that has been that uh, it is insurance that you've bought and that therefore you're supposed to get whatever it is, 55% of your earnings for 
11 months or whatever. And I, I agree with you that I think that there has to be a disincentive. You can't say that uh, everybody's going to have uh, the same benefits the first day they're unemployed. I think that uh, there has to be a buffer zone time. And what I've seen is with people, and I, I do a lot of EI cases, uh, is that when you first become unemployed, you've got your lifestyle set up based on being employed. You've got your mortgage. You've got sort of a lot of fixed expenses that you can't sort of suddenly not have. Uh, but you've got, you need some time, a buffer time, to sort of get the house up for sale, figure out how long you can, you can survive. Uh, and that for that period, it's not unreasonable to say, okay, we're going to give you more, more help. But after a certain amount of time, a year, Who's whatever the it is, again? whoever's running this running this world, <laughs> in this well, case, it's well, the federal government, I guess. So you're back to a, a forced welfare system that we're going to give you this help. Uh, you know, that's the only thing that really separates us on this issue, Jeff, is the issue of, of whether charity should be forced or whether charity should be voluntary. But this isn't charity. This is insurance that you take out to protect yourself down the road. Well, you're talking about people who don't have the insurance, though. What about the people who don't? Isn't that, isn't that the whole point of your argument right now? No, what I'm saying is that I think it's fair to say that uh, people, people who have become recently unemployed should have higher whatever it is, whether it's insurance benefits or whatever. And what I'm saying is if we, if we merge this whole thing together and said it's just cost... Why do they have to have that? What if they saved a lot of money while they were employed and, and actually planned for such a period of time? Good for them. That's uh, great. But, 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 again, but is that a I, reason to force them into a government plan that still doubly insures them? Or, or Yeah, and one thing that I... That you're I, saying yes? Oh, I, what I think you're saying is that there are some people who don't need insurance because they've got other arrangements, and that's fine. And if you ask, is it unfair that a lot of them, in this case, uh, like over, uh, over 60% of Canadians are forced to contribute to EI and can't, can never collect on it? Is that unfair? Yes, it's unfair, no question. What I'm getting back to is this idea of, does it make sense to have all these different programs? You've got federal, provincial, municipal programs all over the place. If you were going to merge them into one, I don't think it but, should but be Jeff, just day one, there's one benefit, they, that's all you're going to get. They have to be forced to pay into UI and not be able to collect, because that's the very thing that makes the system work. It has to be unfair. No, that's, it doesn't. Well, if it was fair, the premiums would be astronomically higher than they are to every other individual, because it's the employer who's bearing the brunt of the benefit cost. He's and we all know it's a job killer. I know, it's the, it's it's the employees paying half of that, but it used to be that most people could get EI. That's changed within this government. All right, let's go, let's go to the phones now where Jerry's waiting. Hi, Jerry. Uh, good morning. Yes, I've been sir. listening to you gentlemen with a lot of interest, and it seems that uh, all these grandiose plans of putting things away don't apply to people on a low income. Some people, when they pay the rent, they're practically broke. Mm -hmm. Now, are you talking about putting money away for a rainy day? Well, today is a rainy day in London for an awful lot of people. Mm -hmm. So what's the solution to that problem? Well, Jerry? I don't know, but when you um, come on with this stuff about saving for a rainy day, people are unable to. They're lucky no, but, if they buy food. But what we're talking about here, Jerry, in terms of this, this, this kind of a dream plan that, that we've been discussing, is not saying to people, you know, this is kind of your, your pin money, your extra money you put into this. This is something that would replace a certain taxation level. So you would not be paying as much in taxes, but you'd have more onus on you than to buy personal protection for the future. Well, how can they do it if they're on minimum wage on a 30 or 40, 30 or 28 hour week? I mean, you just, unless somebody else is paying the rent, people can't survive. So, so what's the solution to that problem? Well, either increase the minimum wage or give people a 40 hour week instead of a 20 hour. And who's going to give that to them? But well, if they're willing to work. Jerry, a person who's being paid minimum wage legally is already paying premiums to UI and Canada pension. Yeah, but if, so but he if, is covered under under the well, your, if you, your if plan. Well, if you get a twenty or a twenty-four hour week, what I'm trying to say is that it, it's hopeless trying to live on it 
never mind saving for the future. I'm sorry, gentlemen, but you guys are, are, are talking to people who can afford to do it. Well, Jerry, I, I don't. I still don't understand. You, you said you know, give them a 40-hour. Who who's going to give them a 40-hour well, week? I don't say. All well, right, maybe I shouldn't have said give. Let them work 40 hours well, because yeah. a lot of people would be damn glad to. But what if the work? Of 20. What if yeah. the work isn't there? Well, the work is there because they pay two people. 20 hours, so they don't pay any benefits. All right, so you give one person 40 hours and you got another person unemployed altogether. Is that what you want? Well, I'm sorry, but uh, there's too many people at the lower end of the income bracket that are willing to work and they can't get the hours in and therefore they're poor. And you get all these people in Queen's Park saying they should have this or they should have that. They, how the hell can people manage if they don't get enough hours to live on? But Jerry, if you're talking about raising the minimum wage, you're advocating making that very circumstance worse. I don't think so, but <laughs> I guess we're not explain why, why, why it wouldn't. But the, the fundamental point you're making, I think, is that uh, people making a very low income can't afford to set enough aside for the rainy day, whether it's through an insurance well, premium right. or anything else. And that comes back to the question of if it is just another tax, should it be a progressive tax or a regressive tax or a flat tax? That is, should wealthy people pay a higher percentage of their income because they can afford to in order to subsidize poor people who, who just can't afford to make a go of it? And I would say, yes, they should. Well, that's still going to drive the prices of everything up because no, it doesn't not. matter. Remember, people who get wealthy get wealthy in society likely because they're performing a service somewhere in that society that even poor people use. Well, there's a lot of other and reasons so why people get wealthy. When you make their expenses go up, they just pass those expenses right on through the economy. We're not increasing you, like, expenses. We're doing them in a different way. Right now, we're not saying at the end of the day people are going to have more money. What we're saying is that it's going to be funded in a different way. And all it means is that wealthy people, instead of having the dramatic reduction in taxes that they've seen over the last five years, while their incomes have shot up. Instead, they wouldn't have quite as big an increase, and yet poor people would not also have uh, an increase in taxes. They'd be able to make a go of it right now. Jerry, thank you for your call. Okay, Appreciate thank you. I'll, I'll keep listening. Uh, glad to hear that. Uh, Lauren's with us next. Hi, Lauren. Hello, how are you? Fine, thanks. Um, I, I have to agree with Mr. Schlemmer that, that basically it's not an insurance plan per se, because it's it's just another form of taxation. Uh, am I right in saying that? Well, you're also agreeing with Mr. Metz. Well, well then... Well, then, I, I think that if, if they really are concerned about the future of workers, uh, then it should be uh, privatized, that the, your current premiums should be uh, going into uh, a, a private enterprise uh, situation where you uh, can draw on it when you become uh, unemployed should, at, at the rate that you're paying into but it. But should you have the option to say, I don't want to participate in that plan? In, 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 in a private plan? In, yes. Well, I, I guess it comes down to uh, socialism versus uh, capitalism. I mean, is it the responsibility of the government to look after you from the minute you start breathing until the minute you stop? But I'm, I'm asking you, Lauren, should, yes. should people have the ability to opt out of that system then? If they opt out of it, then they'll have to pay to suffer the consequences if they don't look after themselves. And what happens 20 years later when your old school chum <laughs> comes knocking on your door and says, Lauren... I got no place to live, I got no money, I didn't pay into the plan because I did other things with my money, my kids are starving in the car and I got no place to go. Lauren, help me. Well, then uh, maybe that's what private charity will be for. Precisely. And, and, I, mean, I mean, if you've had the opportunity, I mean, it, it, I, I talk to this with my children all the time about fairness. Mm -hmm. Is it fair that everybody gets the same mark no matter what kind of efforts you put into, mm -hmm. into work? Mm -hmm. She came back one day and she said, I can't believe it. Dad, I, I worked really hard on this project. I did a lot of work on it, and I got the same mark as someone who just flipped in a hand and in a piece of paper. And I said, well, you know, I guess I don't know what the reason for that is, but you put the effort in. Personally, you have the satisfaction of knowing that you did that. 
on this on this case, it would be personally you have the satisfaction of knowing that you've taken care of yourself for the future. Okay, but I, I, I want to come back to this, and I'm not trying to beat you up on this. I'm just right. trying to, to emphasize that this, this issue is bigger than we sometimes paint it. Your friend is at the door, and you said, well, we've got to depend on, on, on charity now. He's standing at the door, and you know very well that all those years when you were, you know, putting by and, and buying, paying your insurance premiums and so on, and maybe going doing without this and doing without that, you know that he was down to Florida every winter, and he was here, and he was there, and he had a new car all the time, and all of this sort of stuff. And now he's on your doorstep, and you're saying, I guess we'll have to depend on charity. He wants you to take advantage of all the hard work that you put in to bail him out because he didn't do any. You're telling me you're going to be charitable to that guy? I don't think you are. Well, I mean, there will be people who will be charitable to. You think so? Of course, of course. Well, I mean, there, there, so, there, so, there will be people who. So you're <laughs> going to depend on them then. You're going to depend on them. You're going to send him over to Jeff's house and say, "Go see Schlemmer. He'll well, give you some dough." It wouldn't be an individual. It would be. It would be an organization in a group. I mean, uh, I remember reading somewhere. This might be a little off topic, but it's part of the same general feeling and idea that universal uh, health care. At the time that they brought it in, 83% of the people were covered by private plans. Mm -hmm. So they set up this huge plan for 17% of the people that weren't covered. Mm -hmm. And look what it's, look where it's gone to. It's almost to, bankrupted us. Welcome to government. Well, that, and, and I have to agree with Mr. Schlemmer that they should get out of this, uh, trying to, uh, to uh, look after everybody from the minute they breathe oh, to no, the minute no, they stop. No, you're not agreeing with Mr. Schlemmer. You're agreeing with Mr. Metz. Mr. Schlemmer thinks that we should be looking after them and the rich should pay for it. I don't think the do-gooders should, should have to uh, look after all of our vulnerable people. I think we should all pitch in. Well, whatever. All right, thanks, Lauren. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. When you say pitch in, Jeff, what do you mean? Uh, well, that we, we should be forced to pitch in, right? Not, not that we should all... If we're not forced, then for just example, the do-gooders end up doing it. What if Lauren met this friend that Jim described coming to his door and seriously decided, no, this fellow is not worthy of my help because he put himself in this position, and if I help him now, he'll be in this same position next week. And if I help him next week, he'll be in this same position the week after. It, it's, it's almost like a tough love approach. And, and you know, the more we... The, what Jim doesn't bring up as another, on the other side of the coin, and this is where I have another disagreement with you, Jim, is you're always worried about this one guy who can't make it who's going to come to the door, and you're not realizing that by changing the system, we're, for every one of him, we're going to have a hundred or a thousand more of the guys that make it successful. Sure and will never be coming to your door who can't make it now because Absolutely. of the system. But by turning him away, are you going to turn him into one of those successful people? Well, that's that's a judgment that you have to leave to the individual. Yeah, like some would and some wouldn't. Whose money you're talking about. If it's my money you're talking about, then that's my choice. But, again, that's something that you disagree with. You think that that should be your choice, and the, like like uh, Kretchen thinks, the choice of consensus. The whole public should get together, and we'll all vote and decide to do what, with the, you know, what we yeah, want to do with the workers' money. He's not interested in consensus, because the majority of the Canadian, I keep coming back to this, majority of the Canadian people in poll after poll after poll support capital punishment. There's the consensus. He's not interested in consensus unless it agrees with what he wants well, to no, do. Well, no, but he will use the the myth of consensus. He pretends to see consensus. To have a public hearing yeah. and let everybody, you know, let the steam off and then say that, well, yeah, we've looked at everybody's opinion. Of course, no one individual can actually absorb everybody else's opinion. Yeah. And but say to go back to your, to your tough love thing for a minute, the, the problem there is that uh, I think... Both you and I, I don't believe, would ever let somebody starve on the street. And it's a question of where do you draw the line in the tough love. Even the do-gooders don't believe that uh, somebody who has nothing should come and, and walk away with a yacht. It's a question of, you know, where do you draw that line in terms of their being able to keep uh, things going for themselves and their family. But a lot of the do-gooders would say, 
that the guy who can afford the yacht, he's got enough money that he should look after them. And if, and if that means he can't afford his yacht, well, that's too bad, because who needs a yacht anyway? But again, I've never seen a do-gooder say, you know, I'm not prepared to do my share. It's you other guys who should look after it all. The, the, the Ottawa's full of those people. Oh, I, I've never seen a do-gooder in Ottawa. Well, I'm talking about your church-type activists. All right, we've got to pause for a second. We'll be back. Lots more on Left, Right, and Center, and Sean's going to join us right after this. I want to remind you that... Um, as you know, Left, Right, and Center is one of the more popular features on this program. I always look forward to it, and according to our research, so do many of you. Tomorrow, we've got a mini version of Left, Right, and Center. Two of our regular callers, and you'll recognize them. Mike, you know, caller Mike, the gun control guy, and, and, uh, and, uh, and uh, do away with money guy, and all sorts of things. Mike's been on the program a number of times, and I've locked horns with him. Uh, in a friendly enough fashion, I, I, I respect his right to believe what he believes. But Mike has been very outspoken and very in opposition to me and a number of our callers. And Caller Gord, who many of you will recognize his voice when you hear him tomorrow. He's uh, um, very much a person who believes in individual responsibility and is diametrically opposed to many of the things Mike believes in. Um, we have invited both of them to join us on the air. And they both indicated they would like to do that. And they are going to discuss... Uh, from their different perspectives, a number of issues before us today. Uh, I think I can call this way left, way right and center tomorrow. And uh, I hope you will join us for that. I don't know how it's going to go, folks. I really don't. I know with Bob and Jeff, they have a certain uh, grudging respect for each other, and that enables us to tackle some very tough issues and, and keep discussing those issues. I hope we can do that tomorrow, but we'll all find out together. So don't miss that. That's 11 o'clock tomorrow. Um, we've got Sean with us. Hi, Sean. How you doing? Fine, thanks. Uh, all right, John. I've just been listening to you guys talk and all that kind of stuff. Now, I'm 19. I'm turning 20 this year, and I don't know that much about a government, but when you guys talk about how hard people work to get theirs and then maybe why, you know, drawing the limit on charity, you know, think about maybe we should all think about maybe if everyone worked to strive to, to get to that point where everyone was to be successful. Mm -hmm. Do you honestly think that there's always that everyone's going to be successful if they're striving for it? No, I don't think so. You know, so then then where's, then why why draw a line, you know what I mean, when it comes to charity? When the guy next to you... What, what line are you as, talking when about? When the guy next to you has worked just as hard as you have, right, and gets nothing out of it, and you're going to turn to him and say, well, you know... Well, in the first place, though, Sean, if he's worked as hard as you have, he's not going to get nothing out of it. He no, not, nothing, not necessarily you. nothing. I don't mean exactly that. So, but, well, you can fix that right away yourself. You can give him some of what you earned. Oh, I definitely would, and I definitely have. No, you, you know, wouldn't. and I, and no, I listened to no, one wouldn't. of the guys on Sean, the, one no, of the you... guys who's you know talking about you know charity maybe should be privatization. What kind of a society have we come to when it comes down to that? Sean, you won't do that. We'd have a free society if we tried that, Sean, and we'd be away from the socialist society. You've never, you know, Sean, you're you're only nineteen or twenty. You're just exactly. a little bit younger than my daughter, and frankly, you've never seen a non-socialist country, and you you have no way of knowing what it was like before the Trudeau years, really. And and no way of knowing that the, the tremendous, uh, you know, there was a tremendous sense of optimism, I remember, in the 50s and, and, and at the peak of capitalism in this country before we started squandering away our future. It no longer exists. People are just settling for existence. And if the neighbor is a little bit worse than the other guy, then we're supposed to altruistically hand over everything we own to these people so that the work that we do becomes even that much less useful. And then why would people even want to work in a society where 
other people can just dispose of the of the, the money they make. I can just get in there for a second. I, I'm delighted to hear you call and say these things because I worry uh, that we're sort of raised this uh, me generation of uh, young people who think that uh, they don't have an obligation to the society, that, that it's not a good thing, a cool thing to try and help other people who need help. And I think it's terrific that, that you call and say that. When you talk about what Canada who was like 40, that, Jeff? 40, 40 years ago, uh, it was a much grimmer place in a lot of ways. We had isms all over the place, sexism, racism. We had terrible poverty. And... Uh, well, look, listen to, listen to what John says. He says, we still do now. So things well, we do. Are really it's true. Improved. Don't you think? <laughs> Honestly, though, like, I mean, there's still people who are just as poor as they were back then, I'm sure. No, no there are people a lot not. worse off in those days than they are now. And uh, well, that's sure not to say that, that we're that living in a good place now. Too, right? But I'm just I glad mean, to hear you saying that uh, that you feel that there is some kind of an obligation on us to uh, to help out other people who fall on hard times. So you'd be willing to dip into your pocket then, even if I'm not willing to dip into mine? Um, I don't know if it necessarily comes down to that. Why not? Why, why not? Why would I? I'm not talking about someone who's who's extremely poor and who's not worked for anything that they've ever done. Why should I? Exactly. I agree. I agree with you guys when it comes to that point. Okay. Someone who hasn't worked for what they what they've accomplished. Mm -hmm. Why should I help them out? Okay, I can see when it comes to that. But okay. when somebody has worked, you know, and, and who has three kids, and some guy who shows up on your doorstep. You know, who needs a place to stay and whose family's in big, big trouble. Yeah. You know, through those 20 years where he's worked his guts out and he's owned his own business and he's had his own car and he's took all these trips. Yeah. Now it's 20 years later and he's kind of realizing, oh, shit, maybe I should have done the same thing. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I find it hard to, why, why would you turn him away from that? Well, you know, no, why, would you, why would you shoot him down? Nobody here said we would turn him away. What we were trying to get to is whose responsibility is he at that point? Is he his own responsibility? You're sure he's his own responsibility. So, so if he his has responsibility. To, so if he has but to, it comes to a part of, of, of heart and then wanting you yourself to take on that responsibility. No problem. You know, I guess, you no, know. No I don't problem, know. I'm Sean. just rambling on. No, Sorry, you're yeah. not. No, no, you're not. And you're making a good point there. But my question to you is, do you then agree that we should all be forced to be compassionate? Or should we say, or should we be able to say, you, Sean, say, I'm a compassionate individual, even though this guy screwed up and it's all his fault, I'm going to help him, yeah. and Jim's going to help him, and Jeff's going to help him, and Bob's probably going to help him. Or do you want to live in a society where you, Sean, are free to say, listen, this guy's the biggest deadbeat I ever saw in my life. I'm not giving him a penny of my money. Which do you want to live in? Do you want to be forced to look after him, or do you want to have the option to look after him? Because that's the real crux of the debate here today. I think I would be first. You want to, you want to do it on your own? You know, I, I, do I want to do it on my own? I guess, you know... I have the heart that uh, when it comes down to it in life, I guess, you know, I've looked at it now and okay, I think so, that's what's going to happen. So you don't want to be forced then. So you're not going to be upset if Bob and Jeff and I say, well, we don't think the guy's worth helping. We're not giving him any money. Listen, I've got three people staying at my house right now yeah. who are streetless and homeless and yeah. have no place to go. You've got to answer the question, you know, though, Sean. Should, should Bob and Jeff and I be forced to be compassionate, too? I don't know. I guess that's it's, it's unfortunate that you know if you guys thought a different a different way, then you guys would go that way. But no, it's not. I don't know. It's, well, it's that's not right. the question. It's a hard that's question really. to answer, and I think I need maybe probably ten, fifteen, twenty more years to maybe answer answer that intellectually. But well, I appreciate you, uh, you saying, saying that, Sean. I don't know. I think there is a, and I'm not I'm not putting you down for being young, but there is yeah. an awful lot more to learn about this issue. I know. I, I thank you so much for participating, though. You've really added to the show. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks a lot. Bye bye. Yeah. And he has, and I would never put anybody down for saying you're, you know, you don't know enough. But uh, issues like this, um, until you've actually been there, and Sean at 19 or 20, being a compassionate individual, as he says, and he's got street people living with him, and you know, I mean, his parents got to be proud of this kid. But 
He has not yet faced the reality of, of having worked for a number of years and having a family to look after and a wife and kids. And, uh, and then somebody comes along and puts his hand in the, their hand in his pocket and says, give us half of what you earn. Until you've actually experienced that, which the three of us have experienced sitting here, and most of you have, until you've been there, it's a little tough to say, I would do this or I would do that. And even Jeff but I'm just like him. <coughs> well, no, actually, I don't agree at all. And uh, I think that uh, where, where we go off the rails is a question of, is it reasonable to sort of give somebody something who's been a deadbeat all their lives and expect nothing in return? Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, the perception uh, from the right to the left is that lefties would say, yeah, you should give them the shirt off your back and never expect anything in return. I, d I don't think that that's where most lefties are. I think that we say, no, it is reasonable to expect something back, and it's a question of what that should be. Gee, I don't think so. I think most lefties is, yeah, give them the shirt off of your back. I say it. I don't, I don't hear lefties sitting there saying, we don't, we're not prepared to do our share. What we're saying is, we'll do our share, but, but it's also not unreasonable that other guys do their share. No, because the, everybody you know knows at the saying. end of the day, the lefties are the ones who will make things work. They're the ones who will keep people from starving yeah, in the yeah. streets. But is it appropriate to say, you know, because I know the lefties going to look after these people, I don't have any responsibility towards them. I can just go out and golf and forget about it. Uh, that's, think, where we, that's where we differ. I think the lefties are saying we aren't going to help unless we can force the people who don't agree with we us help to help anyway. as well. We help anyway. We're out there anyway. Well, then the issue of forcing people who disagree with you shouldn't be an issue. But we see you, know, you as getting a free ride. You're the guys who are saying we want you lefties to provide social programs in, in a private context, but we don't care to participate ourselves. We'd rather put our money into well, stocks we, and bonds but then we and big cars. We wouldn't, we wouldn't <laughs> be on the social ride then. You guys can have your... You know, I have no problem with... You know, privatized socialism, of course, is a is a contradiction in terms because it would mean that it was voluntary so so it wouldn't really be socialism anymore It'd be sort of like a commune approach but we have to be very careful about when we talk about compassion and then thinking that we are compassionate when we resort to government force to enact our compassion um, you know isabel patterson once wrote that the greatest harm in the world is done by compassionate people that if if you lined up all the criminals in the world and all the most worst atrocities you can think of in the private sense, you know, a crime sense, mm -hmm. it wouldn't come near close to what governments have done in the name of compassion in terms of killing people and and doing what away. What do you mean, genuine compassion, or people who have, have hidden behind feigning I compassion when they're actually selfish? I think genuine compassion misguided through through means that that people just don't see the forest for the trees. You can't run to government and be compassionate with it. Government is a is a big club. You know, like, I, I like, don't think of government so, as being genuinely compassionate. I see them as being pretty self-interested myself. Well, that's that's all the more reason that we shouldn't be using government for for any sort of social programs because government itself has its own nature, and I agree with you. And it will it is a beast that will grow and make itself the standard of what it wants to do and where it wants to go. And just using all all of our compassion against us in the sense of getting our support and getting our consensus. Well, let me tell you something that both of you guys, at least the left and the right, I'm not going to say you would agree with it, I'm not, because I don't know if you would or not, but here's the crux of the whole thing in terms of compulsory compassion, if we can call it that. If each one of us got paid every weekday, or every, every payday, the full amount that we've earned, every one of us, you mean so, without taxes? With no taxes, yeah. no deductions, nothing. You get, it's in your hand. That X number of dollars is in your hand on Friday. And Monday, you've got to write a check every week for the whole amount that the government wants from you, which is now in the 50 percentile here. It's more than half of what you earn. We would not have the governments we have today for more than a couple of months because people would be in the streets. Governments have been very clever on both sides, right and left. They've been very clever 
It's not hidden. We all know we're paying those taxes, but you never have the money in your hand. Well, that's you what's frustrating people, hand. I think, is that they don't see it as, I'm buying a service with this tax. They see it as, it's gone. I had it, and now it's gone. Yeah. <laughs> but if you had it in your hands, you would not let it go. You would be much, much more concerned about how that money was being spent. Well, that's how but I don't know if we'd live any better, though. I don't know if we'd have a different, a better society for that. We'd have to buy everything that we're getting in, in taxes now. Well, I'm not talking about a better society. I'm simply saying that the, all the, the problems, or many of the problems we're having with governments today, and all three of us share concern about that from different perspectives, Many, many of those problems come because the government has an unassailable source of funds. Mm -hmm. They don't have to justify themselves. They don't have to do anything because we have to give them the money and we have to give it to them up front. We don't have a choice. That's true. And where we don't have that buy-in, I think that's where you have this resentment. Because if we, if we thought of all the places where the money is going and we thought about what we want to have, I don't think it would be that different than what we're getting. But because we feel we have no control at all, it, uh, you know, the government just does whatever they want, whether there's buy-in from us or not. That's where the resentment comes. Well, I, I, think that, I think it's deeper than that. Though. I think it's not just that we might buy all the same things, because we might well buy all the same things, but we wouldn't pay the price we're paying now. We would refuse to do that. We would say, hey, you've got to, you know, that's too much money for that product or service because I can go over here and get that product or service for less money than you're offering it to me for. And I think until, unless and until governments do that, we're not going to have that kind of fundamental change. And there's no government in the right mind that's ever going to do that. But privatization, I say it comes back to the left-right thing. That's the fundamentalist aspect of left-right. Is a company going to give it to you cheaper than a, than a government? That's not I, sometimes, issue, I don't Jeff. think the so. The issue is whether it should be forced or whether it should be voluntary. And you just made a comment that I thought was interesting. You said if Jim had a society the way he was describing it, then we'd all have to buy the things that we were already paying for through taxes. Well, that's like saying, well, then we have to buy voluntary the things that we're already buying for Mandatory, yeah. Mandatory. So why, why would that bother you? At least you'd have the choice. Because uh, I say, I think the and, fundamental and distinction between you and me is that I think that if Microsoft runs welfare, they'll charge a lot of money no, and no, make no. a lot you of profit out you, of it. Jeff? And we won't save any money. It'll cost me just as much to pay Microsoft to run welfare as it costs uh, to have the government of Ontario run it. What bothers you, I think, is that if I'm not forced to pay into your plan, that there might not be enough there for you to collect when you figure it's your turn to collect. And I, so I, I really don't think even that this altruism is altruism. I think it's selfishness just turned in on itself. To, to, All right, let's, but, go, let's go back to the phones. we got Ron waiting. Hi, Ron. Hi, Jim. How are you this morning? Fine, thanks. Good morning, gentlemen. Hi. Um, I just have a couple of comments to make. I have um, to ask you to make them quickly if you can, Ron. We're okay. just about out of time. Um, I, had, I work for a large corporation, and uh, when I first started, the uh, vice president of the company came to a little meeting at the table and came to us and said, uh, gentlemen, here's the pension plan, here's what's all involved, but may I make a comment to you, please get your own pension plan because this you will not survive on. And uh, what I'm saying is that uh, I don't think that anybody or everybody should have to look after everybody else's interests. I think uh, you should be responsible for your own taking. You bring up a good point, Ron, that I'm surprised I haven't made yet, that even with all these government programs, we still have to provide for ourselves anyway, just like we did the first time around without them. So exactly. You bring up a good point, Ron, that I'm surprised I haven't made yet, that even with all these government programs, we still have to provide for ourselves anyway, just like we did the first time around without them. So exactly. Are we but these are, these are floor programs. These are not luxury programs. These are your bare minimum. Everybody's going to get their CPP at the end of the day programs. The, the, nobody says that yeah, uh, so poor we, people are going to have luxurious programs. So if you so want luxury, you've got to pay for it in the private market. We, we can all yeah, starve and freeze exactly. together. Then. You've got to pay for it anyway. And I think that if you're a responsible individual and you've come a hard, long way, I think that uh, you'll be able to take care of yourself better 
than if I had the government looking after me. And I'm not interested in that. All right, Ron, appreciate the call, sir. Thank you, Thank guys. you. Wayne, we got about 30 seconds for you. Can you, anything you can add in 30 seconds? Is this for me, Jim? Yes, for Wayne, yes. Yeah, um, it, it never ceases to amaze me how many problems we can encounter every day in our lives from our government. And I, I, uh, everybody has a group that's organized to go to the government for whatever they want. And taxpayers, we're the biggest group in the country. We have nobody talking for us. And I think maybe it's time that we organize the taxpayers so we could hire lobby groups to lobby on our behalf. Well, we supposedly do that every election. We elect our lobbyists. They're not doing a very good job, though, are they? But that's because there's nobody there uh, giving them some direction. They're running it for themselves and not us. Yeah. Appreciate the call, Wayne. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Interesting thoughts there. Uh, final word to Mr. Schlemmer. Well, just that uh, I agree that uh, what's happening with EI right now is robbery, that uh, they shouldn't be doing it the way they are. I think that we need to have something, though, to protect people when they become unemployed. And the idea of it being compulsory, we have lots of compulsory things, compulsory auto insurance, compulsory laws on wearing helmets uh, if you go on a bike, those kinds of things. Those are reasonable, and it's not reasonable to say uh, the few should have to look after the many. It's reasonable for us all to look after the people that need looking after. Uh, last word to Mr. Metz. Compulsion is never reasonable, not with seat belts or helmets. Uh, but car insurance? Car insurance is a, is a separate issue. That's, that's the use of property and, and, you know, like, you, you have a right to tell somebody before they come on your property that they have to have certain insurance depending on what they're doing. That doesn't make it, quote, forced government insurance. That's, that's uh, an element of a contract. So it, it, it is, in effect, a voluntary thing because nobody forces you to drive in that sense. You have to accept the rules of the road and agree to a lot of other conditions, too. So I think you're mixing apples and oranges there just to hide your mean old... <laughs> <laughs> I have a sense we'll probably continue this next week, uh, next Wednesday, on the next edition of Left, Right and Center with Jeff Schlemmer and Bob Metz. Uh, tomorrow on Talk of the Town, the sad state of the world's oceans and the desperate need to ensure politics no longer override the deeper interests of the sea. We're going to talk to McLean's Vancouver Bureau Chief Chris Wood, who's put together the cover story for this week's issue called Oceans Under Siege. And Mike Cripp and Gord Mood, this is way left and way right, and me in the center tomorrow at 11 o'clock. They're going head-to-head -head in their life philosophies. Please join us for the next edition of Talk of the Town. For Jeff and for Bob and for Ryan and Karen, it's Jim saying please take care of each other. Mind how you go. Stay tuned for the new news package and ask the experts with Chris Cahill and Bob Sinden. Bye for now.